This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Jennifer Gotti. I played Bayel on Star Trek Next Generation, and you're listening to Earl Grey on Trek FM. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Join with me as they are every week, are Amy Nelson and Joe Keegan. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm just loving today. I'm very excited for today's topic. And oh, can I say I went to a movie with live orchestra last night. It was Close Encounters of the what? Third Kind. Oh, I nice. had never seen that movie. You've never seen the movie. Wow. I know. I can't even believe it. Come it on, was Amy. So There's a lot of fun. stuff I haven't seen, and I've seen that several times. But yeah, it's yeah, a great movie. it was really good. It was outside because here in Las Vegas, it was still a beautiful night. I was a little chilly, but it, it was beautiful to hear just the sound and the outside. Oh, that's fantastic. And- very nice. And uh, Joe, how are you doing? Normal, Justin. I was going to say two things uh, by way of intro, but now I'm going to say three. And the third thing is, which is now I've jumped up to first, is that Amy Nelson constantly surprises slash disappoints me with what she's not seen. How can you not have seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind? <laughs> That's a spectacular movie. I know. It it is, and the orchestra did wonderful with the chorus in the background. Oh, other other two things. I have been sewing like a maniac because Destination Star Trek is next Friday, and I don't have any time to do it. Um, so that's what I've been doing. You're still going to have a great time, and uh, yeah, go ahead and invent that transporter so I can join you guys. I'm a little far away from uh, the I UK. Know. You know what? You guys would be more than welcome. But our amazing listener, Rhea Papa Giorgio, is coming. So I'm going to. I know. I saw that. I'm like Rhea. Oh, that's, that's next year. And the other thing is, I decided to rewatch all the Marvel movies from the beginning, all 22 of them so far. I think. Wow. Oh my Such gosh! A marathon. It's amazing. I haven't seen all of them. Uh, that doesn't surprise I've me. Probably only only seen one or two. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Guys, have to get your lives sorted out. <laughs> what we want to do is continue catching up with iTunes reviews. So, Amy, would you like to read the first one? Hosts that know their stuff. Insightful and genuinely fun TNG talk. What's not to love? It's like sitting down with old friends to shed new light on favorite aspects of TNG. High production values and high quality discussion make a great podcast. Love it. Five stars. 
Well, thank you, Psych1701. That's nice. And we like being old friends. That's great. Yeah, that uh, such kind words. Thank you so much. I should also mention that one is from the UK. So we have uh, reviews not only from the US. So that's that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. The way they spelled favorite gave it away. Oh, the correct way. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, they're both correct, but in yeah, just ways. mine is more correct, but, but that's that's totally fine. Okay, Casey Lee Forty S um, gave us another iTunes review from the US on the seventeenth of July, and it's a five star review with the subject "My Trek." TNG is my trek, as it's what made me fall in love with all things Star Trek. Listening to Amy, Justin, and Joe is such a joy. They have great insights, interesting topics, and fantastic guests. Highly recommended for TNG Trekkers. Thank you, Casey Lee. Uh, Two things. You are going to keep me up all night wondering what Casey Lee 4TS, specifically the 4TS means. Um, And thanks for your review. Um, I am a TNG Trekker because I grew up with it. as a teenager, um, so I really like that. And it is really comfortable to kind of watch TNG out of all the Star Treks, for me specifically. It's just nice to just sit down and you, any time of day, whatever you're doing, however you feel, TNG is always the way to go. Well, you're co-hosting the right podcast then, Joe. I, uh, yes, thank, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, uh, Casey Lee, for the review we really appreciate it and as you can tell since those are from july we still have some to get through but we're trying to just do a few every episode so uh, we'll get there maybe by the end of the year we'll catch up i don't know (laughs) but we also have babel conference feedback from earl gray 295 that was where we talked about our favorite picard inspirational speeches so amy do you want to read the first one peter a kurtstetter says patrick stewart could bring his whole dignity and person into a line that can make any scene memorable When it comes to the deliberative Picard, I have always been impressed with the whole prime directive discussion in Pen Pals. Do we help pre-warp planets with natural disasters? Sure. With pandemics? Most likely. With authoritarian regimes? Or just inept ones? The prime directive protects us, and that emphasis on us is what really sells it. But along with Amy's third pick, I find the quote from Encounter at Farpoint to be just as meaningful to me. If we must be damned, let us be damned for who we really are. Well, thank you, Peter. Those are great picks. And yeah, I do love that one from Encounter at Farpoint. It's really thoughtful feedback. Um, I know we could have a whole discussion on the Prime Directive and its pros and cons, but um, I would not like to be in charge of a starship, given the implications, yeah, of the Prime Directive. But thanks, Peter. Patrick Carlin um, gave us some feedback too. Uh, so many great picks, but my favourite is from The Defector, from the scene of Picard and Jarok in the ready room. Jarok says, I cannot betray my people. And then Picard says, you've already betrayed your people, Admiral. You've made your choices, sir. You're a traitor. Now, if the bitter taste of that is unpalatable to you, I am truly sorry, but I will not risk my crew because you think you can dance on the edge of the neutral zone. You've crossed over, Admiral. You make yourself comfortable with that. Thanks for that. Um, I purposefully didn't um, do my Patrick Stewart there because it's it's really terrible and nobody has to be exposed to that any longer. I th- I, th- I think it's really good. Nobody oh, said I it was terrible. terrible. I've but you know it, th- that episode was the one where we did our Picard impressions. This one it's different. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for your feedback. There's so many great Patrick Stewart lines to choose from. It's, we could have a million episodes and we'll go through them all. Yeah, for sure. So we also have Chris Trebuzio. Now, I should say this 
comment, I think, is referring to what happened in that episode after our main discussion, where if your hashtag's still listening, we have a lot of fun. So Chris says three words, off the rails, all in caps. Another three words, I love it, all in caps. Yet another three words, Earl Grey stage play. <laughs> so <laughs> I think there was uh, a few other listeners that uh, remarked about that because we, yeah, we were kind of off the rails and but it was pretty hilarious, wasn't it? That mm-hmm. last five or six minutes. Oh my goodness. So if you're not listening after the previously on Trek FM, I know we've convinced lots of listeners to, but other listeners, you must listen because sometimes that's where the real craziness lies. I'm totally up for like a live Earl Grey stage play or like a live episode. <laughs> like imagine a darkened stage and a couple of like three individual spotlights and the three of us on really old ratty kind of armchairs or kind of half patched up, half still full of holes, and where they're just doing an episode. It'd be funny. Drinking wine. This this sounds like it requires a lot of no, setup. No, no, we just need three armchairs, <laughs> three spotlights, some mics, spotlights, And us in the yeah. same room. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Well, come on. Well, that would probably <laughs> These be are minor fun. details. Details, coming, details. Coming next yeah. year. Well, but listeners should be looking forward to episode 300. That's... <gasps> mm. It's not too far away. They should. It is coming up, and we do have something special planned for that. Mega spectacular, spectacular. Yes, I know. It's coming up in a couple episodes. So thanks, everyone, for your iTunes reviews and your Babel Conference feedback. So we have a great interview coming up. Should we go right into that? Let's do it. Today on Earl Grey, we have a special guest, Jennifer Gotti, who played Bayel in the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes Birthright Parts 1 and 2, as well as Libby in the Voyager episode Non Sequitur. So Jennifer, welcome to Earl Grey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So let me start out by asking, how did your career in acting start? Wow. Um, well, it, it actually started, I was like 13, 14 years old. Um, I'm from New York City. I grew up in New York City. And um, I, you know, was one of those kids that, you know, was doing the school plays and got very involved in music at a young age. I kind of, I grew up in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And so it's, you know, kind of a very artistic part of town. And um, a lot of the parents were musicians and artists. And so um, one of my friend's parents, she started something called the Downtown uh, Children's Musical Theater and uh, kind of started in musical theater as a kid in neighborhood shows and, you know, kind of was, was in uh, in school. You know, I went to public school just in the vocal groups in school and stuff. And then actually what happened was my vocal teacher in my junior high school just happened to approach me and said, I know this guy who's an agent and every once in a while when I see a kid that, you know, I think I should give his name to I uh, that you know I I do that but I wanted to ask your permission and I knew nothing about the business I had no clue about it and I was like yeah sure why not and I mean long story short this agent met me and he signed me and um, I ended up uh, he ended up being my agent for about 12 years and and then I just got lucky you know I started auditioning and within about six months of auditioning um, I booked a contract role on a soap opera and kind of went on from there. Wow, that's I mean that's really amazing that that someone just kind of saw what you were doing while you were still in school and they were like, "Hey, let's just see where where this can go." That's that's quite an opportunity. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, of course, at the time, you don't realize how fortunate something like that is. You know, it's when you get older and you start to realize how hard it is even to get an agent sometimes. So, um, yeah, it was just it was just very fortunate. You know, he was he was a great agent and he really, you know, kind of took me, uh, you know, I moved to Los Angeles because, you know, he decided he and his wife decided to move to Los Angeles. I probably wouldn't have moved to L.A. if it wasn't for him. So, you know, he was really uh, a big factor in kind of, you know, getting my career started. So, so yeah, it's good. It's important to have support like that. And uh, I just managed to have the same guy for a long time. And the only reason he didn't stay my agent is he left the business. So, otherwise, I'd probably still be with him. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So before getting on Birthright, were you a Star Trek fan? Um, I was actually. Um, I, you know, I started with watching reruns of the original show. Um, I had a cousin who was a big fan of the show, and I spent every Saturday night at my grandmother's house, and and my cousin was living with my grandmother at the time, and so... Um, I, the repeats of Star Trek would air on Saturday nights. So, um, I started watching Star Trek when I was a kid, you know, reruns on Saturday nights and, you know, was a big fan of the original series. And then, um, especially when Next Generation started, um, I was a huge fan of Next Generation. Uh, and as was my dad, you know, we, we were, faithful watchers of next generation. So yeah, to, to have an opportunity to, to, to be part of the Star Trek world was just amazing for me. Thanks, Jennifer. I'm so glad you're a Star Trek fan growing up like all of us. I'm Joe. I'm all the way over in Scotland just now. Um, so I'm quite far away from you. Um, I wanted to ask, I know it was way back in 1993, like 26 years ago, um, mm-hmm. but what was the experience like working on Birthright? You know, it was, it, it's funny, I know it's been so long ago, and you, you sort of think, like, like, how could I remember something that was so long ago? But I have very, very vivid memories that have stayed with me, I think because the experience was such a positive one. You know, the whole process of auditioning for that show, any of the Star Trek shows, is very, uh, they're very methodical about everything they do, y- even the audition process. I mean, I think I probably was called back several times before they cast the role. They're so detailed oriented as you as you all well know, I'm sure. And so what was great about it was when I actually got the part of, of Bael, even before I started shooting, there was about two weeks of, of preparation for it. You know, they had to make a mold of my head so they could create the the pieces, you know, the forehead piece and the nose piece. And um, they had to uh, give me Klingon lessons and I had to pre-record that lullaby. And so there was all that process and then all the wardrobe fittings. I mean, they're just, they're so detailed oriented. And, and so, you know, I've got like two weeks of just preparing for the character so that by the time I got on set, it was, you know, it was just like, wow, like I'm, I'm actually part of this world now. And everyone was just, you know, it's just such, and I think the reason I still remember it is it's such a welcoming cast. You know, I I hadn't seen, I met, you know, Jonathan Frakes when I first met him. I met him, you know, one day because we, we were never in the same scenes, but he was shooting one day, I was shooting off on a different stage. And they introduced me to him and he's like, hey, and he gives me this big hug, <laughs> you know, and um, 
which is great. And then I hadn't seen him literally in 27 years. And then I went to a con- this the convention in Las Vegas this past summer. And, you know, somebody walked over so I could see him. And, you know, I figured I'd say, hi, I'm Jennifer. You know, I worked on the show like 27 years ago. And he's like, hey, and he gave me a big hug. And just because he's that kind of guy, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's, you know, that was kind of the experience on Next Generation, just a really warm, welcoming group of people who really love what they do. I watched um, the Birthright two-parter earlier today. Um, and mm-hmm. when you sing the lullaby, the question was to me was, um, is that actually Jennifer singing or is it being dubbed over? Because I thought she has a lovely voice, but I, I reckon, I reckon um, you grown up like in musical theatre is probably a testament as to why they had you sing it. Yes, yes, no, that was my voice, and thank you very much for saying that because I was kind of terrified of like, oh my goodness, we're going to record this, and what if it sounds terrible? But no, that was me, and um, I, I I got Klingon lessons from the gentleman that actually created the language. It, I never saw him face-to-face, but we had a kind of over-the-telephone uh, lesson, and he was on, he was somehow able to also listen to the recordings as we were recording it. So somehow, you know, his voice would magically appear in the recording studio to really make sure that my pronunciations were correct. And so that was definitely me. And, and I was relieved that it didn't sound terrible. <laughs> it definitely didn't sound terrible. I'd imagine as a fan, A, having to sing in a, an alien made up language, and have it recorded, but also mm-hmm. auditioning for a show that you love and having to wait the length of time you probably had to wait before they told you, oh, yeah, it's you, you're going to play Bayel. Was that not excruciating? It, Yeah, it, it is excruciating it, 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 because it's also, it, it also kind of wears you down because it, there was like, I'm trying to, rem- I was trying to remember how many times I went back and it was probably four times. I, you know, since Bayel, I had gone back and read for other things and I had done other characters, but um, that was the first time I had read for the show. I got, I was fortunate to be cast the first time I got to read for Next Generation, but it was a long process. So I had like the, the pre-audition where you just meet the casting director and then there was like a callback where it was the casting director and maybe the the, the person who was going to direct it and then there was another call back and more producers and then I, I think there was another one where you know Rick Berman had to be in the room and yeah and it, it just it's just it's exhausting because the hard thing about it is is you you really really want it but you can't act like you really want it because sometimes that can really affect your audition you know you can sometimes make yourself too nervous and so you know as an actor one of the mind tricks we have to play with ourselves is we have to convince ourselves that we really don't want something in order to kind of come off as a certain confidence. You know, sometimes if you really want something very badly, it can be interpreted to people as nervousness as opposed to excitement. And sometimes um, that can put off a a director or or producers because they're too worried that, well, maybe you're too nervous, you can't handle it when actually really it's just excitement because you really want to do something. So you kind of have to trick yourself into walking in with sort of an attitude of not a, not not arrogant, but more of like a, a sense of calmness where it doesn't really matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like a nonchalance. Yes, yes, yes. 
And and that's hard when you really want to do something. <laughs> but it was excruciating. I think I hit it well though. But it, but it was. I think my heart rate my heart rate's elevated now. Just thinking I know, about the right? idea of auditioning for a Star Trek show, and that's not going to happen anytime soon. <sighs> I have to calm down. <laughs> have a oh, lie down. I know. <laughs> so so Jennifer, I'm really struck with what you're saying. Like how much they they put into this because you auditioned multiple times. Mm-hmm. Two weeks of preparation, they had to do a mold of your head to, in order to put together the makeup. You were getting Klingon lessons, you had to record this song, you know, you were getting some guidance from the person who created the, the language. I think that was probably Mark Okran that you were talking to, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so so like they were putting all of this into, you know, a character that is important for this two-parter, but it's it's kind of a one-off. You don't really see the, the character again. But one thing that, that I'm kind of curious about is... Bael's a really interesting character because she's the first one that we've seen who's half Klingon and half Romulan, and the Klingons right. and the Romulans for a long time have been, you know, mortal enemies. But in this two-parter, it's a little bit of a different situation where there's kind of uh, they've made peace with their circumstances, and Bael's been born there, and that's all that she's known. But I wonder if there's like specific guidance that you were given on playing someone who would have those backgrounds, Klingon and Romulan. You know, it's it's interesting. I think a lot of times when when you go through that whole process and you finally like book the job, I think it part of them feels like that I already have that. Like I I think it was the sense was whatever choices I made in the audition with the character, it was in line with what their vision was. And so I feel like they didn't have to really discuss it with me too intently because I already seem to have, you know, whatever, whatever my vision, you know, an idea of the character was seemed to be aligned with what they wanted. You know, the, the, the things that, that, you know, you, we sort of call it as a one-off or, you know, you never see Bale again, but the episode I think was important to them because it did sort of deal with this idea of half Klingon, half Romulan and, and, the cultural conflicts with all that. But then also the big thing they were talking about, it was the first Klingon kiss and that Klingons don't kiss. Like, you know, it was something I hadn't even thought about. They, they were telling me, I remember Michael Dorn was telling me, he says, you know, apparently he's like, you know, we, the lovemaking between Klingons is rather violent. And so the idea that, that this is something that's so tender. So I do remember that the kiss was important to them because it was this, sense of you know of of tenderness that you don't see in Klingons which is obviously her Romulan half but she's brought it out in 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 Worf so you know what you know that was that was something that they kind of had focused on um otherwise you know it was really about um Michael and I connecting as you know as Bael and and Worf and sort of the connection we had um so you know it's it's funny they don't you don't get into a lot of physical, philosophical discussions sometimes when you're on set because you don't have the time um which is why casting is so important i think they trusted that i would be able to kind of handle that and they wouldn't have to give me such specific direction Jennifer you just you just stumped us with that fact that it was the first klingon kiss well, you know, like I, I was actually thinking, I was like actually thinking about that, Joe, because I was trying to think back to the second and third season when you have um, Kalar 
Do they no. actually like kiss on the lips? So. I don't no. even remember. Don't. I'm trying to think they don't. Jennifer, we can all see each other. It's a video link that we've got with each other. And we all just, we can see <laughs> oh, each really? other like, what? Jennifer's just told us something that we didn't I know. know. This is Drop amazing. some knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Look at that. See, you can learn something just when you think you know everything, right? You're a, you're a true fan. <laughs> That blows my mind. Um, but 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 you you talked about Michael Dorn a moment ago, and a lot of the scenes that you have are with Michael Dorn as Worf. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the experience of working with him. Oh yeah, you know he's a very um, and it's interesting. He's another person. I, I literally had not seen Michael since I had finished that episode in '93 until I just saw him at this convention um, this summer. And, um, and again, it was just, you know, I, I walked up to him thinking I'd get sort of a, a polite, like, Hey, how you doing? Kind of thing. And he just saw me and gave me such a big hug. And we had this like very intense discussion, you know, in the middle of the Vegas, you know, the giant show, you know, everything that's going on in the convention hall. And, um, and, you know, I've had other, I have other I have friends who are Star Trek fans that go to conventions that have mentioned my name to him, and he he's always spoken, you know, very kindly about me. So, you know, he he is that kind of person. He's a really kind, um, thoughtful person. So, when we were actually shooting um, the episode, he's got a very calm demeanor about him. He's he he's a very thoughtful person. He's also very funny. Um, so he definitely, you know, Worf is such a serious character, but Michael has got a, he does have a, a wit about him and, um, and he can definitely lighten up the set when it's, when it's necessary. And I don't know, he made me feel, you know, I was, I was young and, and I had, you know, I was very overwhelmed by being on a Star Trek show. You know, I'm like, I can't believe I'm here kind of thing. And, um, and he just was so easy to work with and just made me feel really comfortable. And, you know, we were able to kind of joke about stuff. And, I mean, it was great. It was great. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I do like to laugh about is, so we were talking about the Klingon kiss. And, you know, we were having to do this kiss. And I have a rubber nose and he has a rubber nose. <laughs> and, yeah. and every time we would kiss, the noses would, like, make this, like, this, like, this sucking sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. and, so, and so we was just, you know, we were just laughing about that. It was, you know, we were trying to be all serious and then we'd separate and <laughs> just hear this like, like the rubber like unsticking. <laughs> so that was, that was really funny. I wonder if there's an outtake of that somewhere. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. But but that's really fantastic that uh, that it had been so many years. But he was like, "Hey," and you just had like this great conversation. And Jonathan Frakes remembered you, even though he didn't have any scenes with you. And just, I mean, I think like you know, we've done these interviews with different people that have been involved in the Next Generation, and it sounds like such an amazing place to to work. And there was a lot of fun and you know, great mm-hmm. work being done amidst all of that. So. It's just always so fantastic to hear that. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I actually got to meet um, Patrick Stewart, too, and, and that was... Because, you know, he was my favorite character on, on Next Generation. Uh, I just I loved him, and, you know, my father just adored him. And so it was just, 
you know, I, I didn't think I'd get to meet him because I didn't have any scenes with him. And it, but it was where I also met Jonathan Frakes. They were shooting something on the bridge. And someone said to me, did you want to meet Patrick? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I'm in full I'm in full Klingon. You know, I'm like full on Klingon Romulan outfit. And, uh, you know, and they walked me to the bridge and uh, and it was it, I could barely speak. I was just trying not to embarrass myself. And, you know, he's very charming and he's he's a big flirt. And, you know, he's <laughs> a really nice man. <laughs> you heard it here first, people. I think it's all of our yeah. dreams. To have met Patrick Stewart, but yeah. Well, we have a listeners group on Facebook and we put it out that we were going to interview you and we had some listeners ask some questions and uh, it was interesting. You talked about, you know, getting the mold for the makeup and the prosthetics done, but uh, Jim McMahon asked, what was it like to go through the process of getting the Klingon makeup applied? So once you had the prosthetics, like, was it, did it cut down on the prep time? Actually, no. It, it was intense. Um, I had, let's see, putting on the makeup took about an hour and a half. And then taking it off took about an hour because they actually, um, in order to save the piece, so they sort of learned by process, you know, over the years they had worked out the processes. Like Michael Dorn even had told me, you know, he had developed some really bad skin issues um, because of certain glues that they were using. And, it, you know, and they sort of, by the time they got to season six with me, they really had figured out um, what they could use to, to, to put the pieces on and what they could use to take the pieces off that wouldn't destroy the rubber um, and what would be easier on the skin. So it was, so that, that process took a while. It was certain, was it peanut oil? I don't want to say something that's not right. Um, but I think it was peanut oil that would take the prosthetic off in a way that it wouldn't destroy the rubber. I, I think that's right. Because they would use the same piece. So it wasn't a new piece each time. They, you know, they needed to preserve it. Um, and then back then, I don't think they do this anymore. They use something called Pax paint to to color the, the, the parts of your face that don't have um, the, the prosthetic on, you know, and there's a wig. I mean, it's so, it's so involved and you have to sit there and I just, it's amazing. I think about Michael and how he did this for seven years. Uh, more, more than more than seven years actually, because he was also on deep space nine. So he it's, kept right, doing it deep space nine. <laughs> I mean, you know, I did it cause you know what happened to me is I, I, I think it shot over the course of what, two or three weeks. And what was happening to me was, it's very, very long hours. So I would have like 4.30 a.m. calls and I would work till probably nine o'clock at night and then they would have to bring me back in by 4.30. So, you know, as an actor, I'm making all kinds of extra overtime money, but I'm also not getting much sleep and I'm not eating a lot because what would happen was, you know, they would put the makeup on and everything and the, and the, and the costume you know, it was fitted very specifically to my body. So it wasn't tight, but it wasn't loose. You know, you just, I always was standing straight. You know, I had this makeup on. I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could move my face a lot. And, um, and so I wasn't eating, you know, we'd have a lunch break and I just didn't feel and I just wasn't hungry. And then I go home and I'd be so tired and I go to sleep. And after about the third day of it, I woke up in the morning to go to work and I got out of bed and I, I, I blacked out oh, and I oh, woke no. up on the floor because I was 
so tired and, and, um, and I like, Oh my God. And like, I had to get to work. Like I didn't want to admit to them. And so I made it to, I made it there and I'm sitting in the makeup trailer not makeup, you know, where they're doing the makeup and I'm sitting there and I'm literally like falling asleep in the chair while they're trying to put the makeup on me. And, um, and I didn't want to tell anyone I wasn't feeling well, you know, I was just trying to like tough it out. And, uh, we are on the set and we're doing the scene where, um, they're going to, they're going to assassinate um, Worf. You know, they're going to put him in the firing range if he, if you know, because he insists on leaving. And um, it's this big master shot. And uh, Christine Rose, who played my mother, is 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 next to me. And I didn't want to mess up the shot because it's this crane shot, this huge big shot. And I I look at her and I say, I, I don't feel well, and I feel like I'm going to pass out. And so I have her holding on to me, and I'm holding. And I'm like, I just need to get through this shot. And she's holding on to me, and it looks like I'm just really, you know, if you kind of look at the master shot, it's really quick, but it looks like that I'm just so sad. Oh my God, Worf's going to die! But really, what I'm doing is I'm trying not to faint. Oh my <laughs> because, goodness! <laughs> because, because I haven't eaten enough, and I don't, you know, and I'm so affected by the makeup. So once I hit cut, I almost just fell over, and then I felt really stupid, like I didn't say anything, and they. They have a they have a, a clinic right there on Paramount Studios, and they took me to this doctor, and he just looked at me and he's like, "You're fine. You just need to eat something." Mm. And mm. Um, and it really what it was it was the smell of the Pax paint was kind of killing my appetite, oh. and it, I just I just was so so anyway so I had a big old baked potato and <laughs> I just <laughs> ate a bunch of food and I was much better. So you know that's that's a very long story, but it's it's kind of how how exhausting it is to wear those the, the, to wear those kinds of prosthetics and to, to have that makeup on day after day it's definitely something that you have to get used to over time because i just i just wasn't eating and i was just exhausted wow i mean that that is i mean we've heard that there are long hours but that's really something that the whole process just led to you kind of collapsing after a while which is uh, such a shame and it, it actually makes me think of you know, some of the new Star Trek shows like like Discovery, I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff because there are a lot of characters that are in a lot of makeup and they actually make sure even through the makeup that they're having something like a smoothie or something like just to, so they can have something in their in their body. Right. And they even have, right. I think, like these boards that they'll put them on to to be able to to rest. So you're not like sitting mm-hmm. down or standing up, but you're kind of resting at an angle or something. Maybe they've learned from that experience. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, now, I mean, so many years later, I'm sure that that things are a lot easier. I'm sure the makeup is probably a little bit faster. You know, I'm sure that, like you said, they think, okay, protein drink, you know, do something. I, You know, and, and also, too, I mean, this is sort of an example of of being young. You know, I'm a young actor, and I don't want to, even though, you know, I had a lot of experience, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to cause trouble. I didn't want to be a problem. And so I just didn't want to speak up, and I just thought I'd be quiet and suffer quietly and, and power through it, you know. And then, what, and then, of course, in the end, what happens is, is I end up, like, passing out on set, which doesn't do anybody any good. So, you know, the lesson is, you know, speak up and you know, if you're hungry, eat something. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, thank goodness you're able to recover and it was nothing worse than passing yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just needed a good meal and some rest. But the packs, but that makeup, it was hard. I mean, the packs paint, which I don't think they use anymore, had, an, had a, a, a smell to it that just didn't really... Um, wasn't a, it wasn't a bad smell, but it was a, it was a, you know, it was a paint smell. And so it just didn't, 
you know, it didn't... Yeah, it killed uh, your appetite. Yeah. yeah, it just totally killed my appetite. And then the four hours sleep a night was, you know, that didn't help either. <laughs> Those are two careers that I would love to be able to do, um, but no, I couldn't as being a chef because I know like the kitchen, the temperatures would just kill me and being an actor because getting up at four in the morning isn't happening. I'm famous mm-hmm. for like snoozing my alarm clock like <laughs> 20 times before I actually like drag myself out of bed. Yeah, and 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 believe me, it, I'm not a morning person either and uh when that alarm clock goes off, you know, you have to sort of say to yourself, so this is the glamorous life, like this is what <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, we don't realize what you go through <laughs> to entertain us. <laughs> We're not suffering that much. I mean, yes, there there are those stories, but honestly, on the same level as an actor, you know, you've got people all around you taking care of you all the time. It's not a something like that. Oh, yes, that sounds like it's exhausting. But, you know, when we're not doing that, you've got people sort of pampering you all the time. You know, you're sitting in a trailer waiting for somebody to bring you water and waiting to make sure you're comfortable. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not a hard life in that sense because... You, you you are you know we are spoiled when we're not on set we're very spoiled. Okay, maybe that's my next career change then possibly. <laughs> uh, so Jennifer, we have another listener's question from Liam Carrigan. Um, if you had the chance to uh, portray another alien in Star Trek in the future, which one would you choose and why? Oh, oh goodness! I you know I'm I was sort of fascinated with and forgive me because I am not. I am not as educated in the names of all of the different aliens of the Star That's Trek okay. shows, but um, I liked Jerry Ryan's character, mm-hmm. Nine. Seven of Nine. And yeah. I thought, that, you know, and I thought that was sort of an interesting alien. I, I, I don't really know why I would want to be her character. I think, it, you know, what it was. I, I would. It would be nice to be kind of a, a bad character. You know, mm. I'd be kind of good to be one of the evil aliens just for fun. I don't know why. You know, Bael was mm. so innocent and and so good, uh, which which was which is great. But I think it would be really fun to be, you know, one of the bad guys. And I can't remember if Jerry Ryan, if Nine was, did she end up? She was pretty bad, wasn't she? Well, you know, like her characters. Actually, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've been doing a rewatch of the episodes that she's in in Voyager. I mean, she starts out as someone who's part of this Borg collective. She's actually human that's assimilated by them and is pretty much like doesn't want to be there and wants to destroy Voyager. But mm-hmm. like over time becomes more part of the crew. There are places where she's doing things that aren't good for, for the ship. But I think for the most part over time, uh, she ends up being someone who is is more on the good side of things. And it's interesting you mentioned that as well, because uh, Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine is going to be in the new Star Trek Picard series next year. So the character is actually coming back. Oh, that's right. That's right. She was Seven yeah. of Nine. That's a, that was my mistake. She was Seven no, of Nine. Okay. That's right. But but I think it's, it is, it is like for me, it's a fascinating character because it's someone who against their will was made to do these terrible things that resulted in lots of people being assimilated or, or killed and has right. to kind of deal with that. So it's a very complex uh, character. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess in, in a way, that's what's so great about, about Star Trek characters is they are multi-layered. Um, you know, you can always find some sort of, you know, redemption in, in most of the characters. Uh, but I, she, you know, I, and that's kind of what I, what I like about some of the, some of the um, other aliens who, you know, there's, there's always some sort of inner conflict 
with with most of the Star Trek characters, you know. I mean, I think that's the point of the series is is it's always exploring, you know, inner conflict in 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 the person or the alien themselves or in the culture or in the universe that they're in. But I just, you know, I, and again, I I have not rewatched that show in a long time, but I just remember uh, Jerry Ryan's character just being a really fascinating character. Mm-hmm. That's a really good choice. So speaking of, of Voyager, uh, you also played a character on Voyager. So this is Libby, who is uh, Harry's girlfriend, and that was in the Voyager episode, Non Sequitur. So tell us about your experience uh, working there. Uh, so so interestingly, you know, before I book before I did, played Libby, I was one of uh, actors that were being considered for the role of Kess. No way. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh. So my Kess story is, and this is, this kind of goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't want to want something too much because it could come off as, as nervousness. When Voyager, before they, you know, before Voyager started, I was requested to read for the role of Kess. And, um, and I went through the same process, you know, I, I, they had me do the pre-read and I went to the producers and all this stuff. And then long story short, I got down to the final audition where you go to network, you know, and so being a, a fan of, you know, Star Trek shows and having an opportunity, the idea of like, oh my God, I could actually be a, a series regular on a new Star Trek show. I was just, like so excited and I had done the same scene over and over again I've auditioned multiple times you know done the same scenes multiple times for more producers and more producers so it was the final it was the final audition and it came down to it was between me and Jennifer Lean so you were one of the final two yeah, we were the final. Wow. I think it was just us. I think it was just the two of us. If there was, if there was anyone else there, I don't remember. And the reason I remember her is I remembered her. I'd recognized her from something I had just seen her on, and I can't, could not recall what that was. And you know, and so we're in the hallway, you know, and it's this whole thing where you're all in the hallway, and you know, you got to wait your turn or whatever. And basically, you know, I went in there, and I mean, for I, I, I basically blew my audition, and and it was that thing where. Instead of just doing it the same way I had done it each time, I just decided to try to make it interesting or do something different or I don't know. And it just, I went in and, and I just, I pushed it too hard. I just blew it. It was just, I didn't go in relaxed and nonchalant. I went in like really wanting it and like trying something new and it just totally backfired, you know, and, 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 and it, I may not have gotten it anyway. I mean, I might've very well gone in there and done it perfectly the way I'd always done it and I may still not have been cast you know they might have still picked Jennifer um but I just remember walking out of there going oh my god I just totally blew it and I just knew it because I just wanted it too much so anyway so yeah so that didn't work out but Jennifer was cast and she was great and you know I more power to her I thought she was awesome. although I should say now when I go back to those first few seasons I'm going to try to imagine what it would have been like if you played Cass <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know it would. It would be, you know, it would be a different take for sure. But, um, but you know, she was great. And, and again, like this is nothing that has nothing to do with, with Jennifer. It's like a total personal thing of what happened to me when I went in the room. Um, but then, but at least, you know, I didn't blow it so much that they would never call me back. 
um, that, you know, whatever it was, I guess, it, I can't remember if it was the third season. Second, uh, third second season, season was uh, second season. Yeah. So second season, they called me in and it's not, they didn't even offer it to me. I had to go back and go through, you know, again, it's this, this whole thing. They just torture you. They just make you audition. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, um, and so, yeah, booking Libby was, was, was cool. I thought, well, good. At least I, I get to be somebody in, in the, in the Voyager universe. And I thought when I booked Libby compared to Bael, I said, well, at least my hours will be shorter. And no, they weren't. Mm. I played a human. I didn't have makeup on, but they still worked. It it was still a lot, a lot of hours, which was pretty funny. Jennifer, I'm kind (laughs) of glad that you said that you messed up the the final audition because I was getting ready to write a strongly worded letter to Paramount that you didn't get the part of Kess. (laughs) I I was getting ready to type that. So thank you. Oh, okay, yeah, no, it's it's uh, that one's on me. That one was my it would have been my so doing, good as well. you know. Not to worry. So, was there any other discussions to like have you as additional appearances, either as Bael or Libby? No, you know, it's 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 different. It was different then. I mean, nowadays, anything can be a possible recurring character. You know, anything you read for. They can always bring you back, but uh, and that seems to be more of a trend now in television. They're 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 more willing to bring characters back. But I found you know they pretty much had their story set with Star Trek, and these just definitely seem to be, you know, Bayel was just a a one time thing, and it and then that encapsulated in these two episodes, and then they moved on to other things. I mean, they seem to already have decided that about Bayel, and I think the same thing with Libby, um, just because the only way he could get her back is if he let you know if he never went into the time continuum. And well, I, actually, like I've been thinking about this, and there was one way they could have brought you back if they took if they just added a little bit to the series finale of Voyager, because in the series finale of Voyager, they do actually, you know, make it back to right. Earth, but it kind of ends before they really get to Earth. So, and and a lot of, of fans of, of Voyager, and I include myself in this, were like, well, wouldn't it be great if they just set aside even five or 10 minutes for, you know, family reunions and what it's actually like? And that's where you could have had like the real Libby, <laughs> like meeting right, Harry, right? right? right. That would that's have been true. pretty interesting, but they didn't that's do true. that. That would have been interesting. I know. I know. Um, well, too bad you weren't around to tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll write yeah. that strongly worded letter. Why don't that happen? <laughs> and and send it send it back in time. Yeah, it's like the Voyager twenty fifth anniversary or That's something right, yeah. next year. I think of Voyager, yeah. so you know you can say, hey, you know, you should, they should do a reunion show. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of fun too because I hadn't seen Garrett, and again, I hadn't seen Garrett since I had done the show, and. Yeah, I went to that con- really my first big convention, and and uh, you know Garrett was great, and you know we 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 had a good time with that show. Um, I think part of the reason the hours were so long too is uh, one uh, I think it's a, a David Livingston directed it, and he's one of the producers, and um, he was again they're just very meticulous people. We had this scene. There's a scene in Voyager where Harry comes home, and I've just gotten out of the shower, and I'm wrapped in a towel, and we're sitting and we're talking and it's this whole long scene, you know, kind of, you know, where, where I'm like, where have you been? And, you know, it's, it's a kiss at the end of the scene, there's the kiss. And, and David Livingston, I think his first name's David, David Livingston, yeah. um, wanted to, um, he wanted to do the entire scene on a dolly, just one long dolly shot that starts far away 
and it slowly, slowly, slowly comes to us until it hits that certain spot and we kiss. And so this, you know, it's a, it's a scene that have, it has to be timed perfectly. It's kind of very meticulous in the movements. And when I saw Garrett this summer, he's like, oh my God, remember when we did that scene? And we, he says, we must have had to do that scene like, like 25, 30 times to get wow. it right. He says, and we did. And then we had a kiss every time. And it was just, that was just an excuse, <laughs> you know? wasn't it? And he, and, He's like, you're right. He says, and I had a good, he says, and my girlfriend at the time, I went back to see my girlfriend at the end of that shoot. And I was like, you know, I had to kiss Jennifer like 30 <laughs> times, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and I, anyway, I, it was kind of funny. So it was, it, you really get to know somebody after about the 30th kiss. You're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's been a theme in what you're talking about. Like so much care and attention is taken to these things, even if it's something that's related to one episode out of 26 in a season mm-hmm. or, you know, a character you might never see again. It's, it's just always impressive that they wanted to take that time and attention not just for people seeing it then, but, you know, seeing it many years later, you can appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and it shows because, I mean, one of the things I didn't predict is that I would still be talking about these shows, you know, <laughs> 27 years later. And I, and I mean that in a good way. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like it's not, um, even though I just did one or two, I did two episodes on one show and one episode on another show. These are these are episodes that people actually remember. So yeah. I mean, the, the the creators really know what resonate what, what, what resonates with folks, and and uh, and that Bael is a character, and that you know has held on all this time, and and it's a very you know popular character even for those two for those two episodes. So they you know they, those those folks know what they're doing. I'm telling you. Every interview that we've done on this show, people have said, I can't believe that I'm still talking about this all these years later. I mean, it's right. just nothing you would have anticipated at the time, probably. But Oh, you know. God, no. No, not at all. I, I, you know, I can't even remember half the stuff I've done. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I have this resume over, my God, you know, over 35 years. And, and I, you know, I, rem- I, rem- I remember a handful of it. And, you know, those are really the great shows, you know, it's the, the really, really good shows are the ones you remember. That's true, because when I'm at work, I can barely um, remember what happened a couple of weeks ago, so... Um, <laughs> I, I, walk in an, I walk in another room and I can't remember yeah, why. Why you went into the there. refrigerator? Yeah, I was like, I'm sh- I came in here for a reason. What was it? Um, so I have to admit that when we found out we were going to be interviewing you today, I, I looked you up on IMDb to see if I'd seen you in anything else apart from the three Star Trek episodes. And lo and behold, you've been in Doogie Howser and Devious Maids and um, Drop Dead Diva, which I, programs I loved. Really? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you about your favorite experiences of acting outside of Star Trek. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so again, like, what are the handful of of ones that I that I have? Um, I would say probably what's up there with Star Trek is I did an episode of Cheers. Oh wow! Mm. Um, I don't know if you, any of you watched Cheers. Yeah. Back oh in yeah. The, oh yeah. The, and it was you know. a big it was a big deal when it was on for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I I did the, I got to do the last season. Uh, excuse me, the the an episode in the last season, and that was a. That was a great experience. Let me tell you something. Ted Danson is a is a great guy. Mm. Um, you know, one of the things about 
going on a show, it's kind of like the way it was with Star Trek is it, the, the tone of the show, uh, the atmosphere of working on a show really starts at the top. And, and, it, and, it, and it works down. And by the top, I mean, like, who is number one on the call sheet? You know, who is the actor that carries the show? And even though Cheers is an, was an ensemble show, Ted Danson is just really kind of like, like, he's like the guy. You know, he, and, and, and it's multi, it was multi-camera, so, so you, you work all week. So you rehearse and you rehearse and then you shoot in front, in front of a, a studio audience on Friday nights or whatever night it is. And so it really um, was in front of like a live studio. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of sitcoms, at least back then too, it was all done in front of a live studio audience. So it's like you're doing a play in front of camp with cameras in front of people. Um, And he's just, again, he was just like, Hey, how you doing? You know, just really warm to the whole cast. They, um, and, and then the whole cast, Kirstie Alley was hysterical. I had just auditioned for her. She was married to Parker Stevenson at the time, and he was directing episodes of Baywatch. And I never did a Baywatch, but I would audition for Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> and I, had, you know, I told her I'd audition for her husband. And I mean, they were just, it was just a really great week of working. Um, they had a, a massage, a, mas- a masseuse that kind of hung around set that I, one of the actors paid for for everybody on the set, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and you could go get a little back massage. It was just, it was just a really, and James Burroughs was directing them then. So it was, I, you know, I, it was just, they were great people. It was a lot of fun. I think what makes it, what makes these shows special is, you know, you're just a guest actor, you're there for a week and they may never see you again. And sometimes you can meet actors that don't really want to invest any emotion into you because they're never going to see you again. And then you have those that are just really welcoming. They know it it just makes you comfortable if they're kind and if they're chatty with you. And and it does. It just makes the experience better. So, you know, Cheers was another show where, you know, they they really kind of welcomed you while you were there. I wanted to ask because I also looked up and you are on my very first ever watched soap opera Young and the Restless. So I just wanted, could you tell us a little bit about your experience working on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I had started in soaps, you know, I did, I had started in soaps when I was like 14. So my first professional job ever after auditioning for a few months was a contract role in Search for Tomorrow. And so I started on Search for Tomorrow and then I was off that. And then about a year to year and a half later, I was on Guiding Light. And, you know, so my youth was soap operas. And then I moved to LA and I was doing all this nighttime TV. So I hadn't done a soap in a while. And I didn't, I didn't expect to go back to doing uh, daytime shows, but um, that was a show where I, I didn't really have to audition. They called, so it was weird. They called me and um, they wanted me to come in and they wanted me to talk with them and, and they were interested in me for this part, they said. And, and I did read, but I didn't have to do a screen test. And they pretty much hired me kind of right there to, 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 to do Keisha. Um, and it wasn't like a long-term contract. It was sort of like one of these, I think they were going to, you know, what I found out was, is they were replacing, there was an actress already playing Keisha Mm -hmm. and, but Keisha wasn't really a developed character at the time. I think, you know, she was maybe, you know, somebody that Malcolm's, it wasn't Malcolm, it was, um, Olivia's husband was 
having an affair or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was, she was, she was kind of a minor character and I guess they decided that they wanted to do a much bigger storyline with her. And I don't know why they recast the original actress. I think, I think the only thing I could think of is I don't know how much, ex- I don't know how much acting experience she had. I wasn't sure if she was new to the business. I don't know if they were worried. Maybe she couldn't, I don't know. I, I, for whatever reason, they just decided they needed to recast. And so what I had to do was not only did they recast the character, but they had me reshoot about five of her episodes. Oh, really? Wow. And I had wow. to reshoot them all in a day. Oh, my oh. goodness. <laughs> or, yeah. So I remember I, I had to go to work one day, and I, I think I shot about three, to, at least three different episodes several different scenes, bang, 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 bang. So, you know, one of the things about working on a soap is you shoot a whole show in a day. And, you know, I started in that. And so I learned how to memorize lines quickly. I learned how to remember blocking, you know, quickly. Learn how to make very specific acting choices quickly because you kind of have to move along. And so I ended up having to reshoot a bunch of her scenes just to kind of reestablish me as Keisha before the shows aired and, um, and, you know, and then kind of move forward. So, you know, I kind of call soap operas, soap operas is like, it's like a nine to five. It's, it's kind of cool. It's like a nine to five acting job because you Hmm. show up early in the morning and usually you're done, you know, before the end of the day and you have your weekends off and, you know, it's, it's a much more structured life than working on a nighttime show or a movie where you could have 14 hour days and, you know, you're working all kinds of weird hours. Um, so it's very civilized working on a soap opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I wasn't expecting was they did not tell me that Keisha was going to end up being HIV positive and having AIDS. So that was a little bit of a shock to me. Yeah. <laughs> they decided to keep that from me. And then I realized, I said, I'm wondering if they wanted to hire an actor that they thought might have I don't know. I, like I said, you know, I'd had a lot of experience. Maybe they thought I could handle it. And they just sort of, yeah, they, they did not tell me that part of the story until they kind of, they literally handed me the script. And I was like, oh, my god, Roped goodness. you in. <laughs> yeah. Kind of roped me in, yeah. But, you know, it was, it's a different, you know, it's a different, uh, it's a different style. You know, soap operas are very, um, it, it's not subtle, you know. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot of... Uh, big emotion and it's a lot of everything's very dramatic and um you know it's 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 fun it's it's uh you know you kind of get to be melodramatic you know you you know television is a lot of tv is a lot more subtle you know this Mm -hmm. this is more in your face but yeah they were you know it's a again you know it's a good group to work with um shamar moore of course you know now shamar moore's like yes huge tv nighttime TV star, but Shamar was, you know, a sweetheart and, uh, I really enjoyed working with him. Um, you know, it's funny when I was a kid, you know, I did the soaps and I was in the soaps and I couldn't wait to be done with the soaps so I could go on and do other things. And, you know, and I got back to the soaps at that point and I was kind of enjoying myself. I didn't stay though, because what happened was when I realized that Keisha had AIDS, I was like, oh, my goodness, am I going to spend the next two years playing scene after scene after scene, you know, being sick? And I that just didn't really 
I wasn't very excited about that. And so what happened was I auditioned and I booked a, a pilot, television pilot, and uh, they were very gracious about it. You know, I, sh I got this pilot and it didn't go to series, but they couldn't take the risk. So what happened is Keisha ended up dying a lot sooner probably than they mm. would have planned it. So, but, uh, but yeah, I love that show. I, I, you know, that, that was, uh, that was a positive experience for me. Um, and, and as I got older, I realized, wow, working on a soap opera is kind of nice, you know, kind of this regular acting gig and you get to go home at night and eat dinner with your family. Yeah, that's so interesting because, as you say, it's such a contrast to working on Star Trek or a lot of other kinds of shows, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's very different. Um, I mean, it's it's shot. Well, now I think they use they're finally using digital. But back in the day, you know, um, Star Trek was shot on film. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was shot on film, and uh, soap operas were shot on video. So it's just a complete. It was a completely different look. Even now, I think, like, if I happen to, like, catch a soap opera, like, it looks different. And I don't know if they're just trying to, em it's shot the same way and they're just trying to emulate. But you, you see it and you know it's a soap opera just by how it looks, even if there's no one in the frame or something. Yeah, so. you're right. And and you're, and it is interesting because it's all the same digital equipment now. So I don't know why. I mean, they could make it look, but it's also, yeah, I, I, it's true because when I watch it, it does look like a soap. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they do that on purpose. I don't know. Some, something that they're using a filter or something. So we, we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, I did get a chance to meet you at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas. So I was curious for you to talk a little bit more about your experience there or any other, you know, Star Trek or other conventions you've been to. Yeah. So it's funny. Yeah. So um, I do. Yeah. I remember the, 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 uh, my cat just came in the, in my room here. So if you hear some meowing, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> she's like, she's had enough of me with the door shut. So she's, <laughs> she's um, so, uh, anyway, so yes, yeah, so the Star Trek Las Vegas was the absolutely the first, it was my second convention ever, but it was my first giant convention. Um, you know, I, people ask me over the years, why don't you do conventions? And I just never, I never really pursued it. And, and I guess it was just me thinking, why would I do a convention when I did two episodes? And um, I finally realized uh, like, wow, you know, this, even if you did one episode of a show, it's, it seems to be important to a lot of or people. Even if you did like stunts or something like that, or you were a double or something, people had tables there who had, who had been yes. in, that I mean, in it's, Star Trek. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's just a, just a fascinating experience. My first experience though, uh, was a very unusual, everyone told me this will be a very unusual convention. And it was, I did Volcon in Alberta. Have you ever been to that one? I, I haven't, but I know that's where you met our uh, Trek FM colleague, Brandon Shamatala, because he lives in Canada. Uh, so, right. Yeah. Right. I've, I've it's heard a, about that's it. That's an interesting experience because it's a, it's, a, it's a tourism convention. Like, it's community-based, and it's so, – so my first convention experience was in this little small town in Alberta, Canada – I mean, it, I had a lot of fun it, because it, it, but it's very intense, you know, it's, it's like everybody's with you all the time and it's much more, uh, personable, you know, personal and, and people really get to spend time with you. And, um, and it was really, it was very, it was great. I mean, I had a lovely time, but it was very small compared to most conventions, I guess. And, uh, and so Star Trek, the, the Star Trek Las Vegas was just overwhelming I mean, in a good way. I was, 
I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. I mean, the commitment and the dedication to, to, to Star Trek fans is just so impressive, you know? It's true. I travel millions of miles every year to come to Star Trek Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> it's so much fun. And Do you really? Well, yeah, of course. And, and that was the thing uh, at Star Trek Las Vegas was um, I met a lot of folks from Germany, and I met a lot of folks from Great Britain. I, I mean, people were from all over, and, and, and they said it wasn't even just their first time that they come every year. Yeah. So I was, you know, it was it was incredible yeah. um, to see, and just to see all the actors that come to the conventions every year. It's our one big holiday it's every an year. Amazing thing, um, and it's so worth it because it's the reason I know Justin and Amy, and it's the reason I got into podcasting with them. So it's it's totally worth it. Oh, okay. Now, did you meet them at Star Trek Las Vegas? Yes. Yeah, I met Amy initially, and then I met Justin after I started podcasting with them. Yeah, um, this year, um, so Star Trek Las Vegas brings people together. Wow! No, I, 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 uh, I, I, it was, it was an experience. I, you know, I don't. I mean, I know some of the actors do it year after year, and I guess you know, obviously the series regulars. I can understand why they do it every year, and I, I would, you know, if if uh, if they asked me back, I would definitely come back. But um, yeah, it was, it was. Uh, it was, a, it was a very positive experience. I mean, everyone told me it would be a positive experience. I think I just, you know, I'm just sort of amazed at, you know, how, again, I just can't believe, you know, I had somebody come up to my table and just have this very intense philosophical conversation with me. I mean, it's a lot of really, really smart people are Star Trek fans. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you know? And that's, I think, what really impressed me. I mean, people that are like astrophysicists and, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of scientists and, and you know, and and it's it's just great. Jennifer, this has just been so exciting. But outside of acting, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies and interests? I mean, you obviously have a cat, which I love, kitty cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually have two cats. You know, one of one of them who knows to you know stay out of the room when the door shut, and the other one that just insists on coming in when the door shut. So yes, so I have uh, I have two cats, I have my dog. Um, so what do I like to do outside of of acting? Um, so I live I live in Asheville, North Carolina. I live in the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, which is quite beautiful. Uh, and so I do, um, I do a lot of hiking. I do a lot of cycling. I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, of movies, you know, so I do spend a lot of time streaming at home. <laughs> I used to go to the movies, but then I find that people are just really annoying well, in movie are. theaters now. So. Yes, they are. <laughs> Even in Scotland. <laughs> Yes, it's sort of like everybody just thinks they're home now when they're in the movie theater. So I decided, well, in that case, I'm just going to stay home and get a good sound system and a big TV and just watch movies at home. So, uh, you know, I do like to watch a lot of movies. Um, and I do like to do, tra I love to travel um, when I have time. I did a cycling trip in Ireland this past summer. Oh, wow. Which was, um, which was, which was beautiful. And, uh, and so, yeah, I try to, I try to, um, 
I try to stay outdoors and do, I'm, I'm a city kid, you know, so it's kind of amazing that I actually am as, as, as outdoorsy as I've become. But um, that's kind of the stuff I like to do. That's cool. Jennifer, you, you mentioned that you had cats. And to be honest, I was kind of disappointed when you said you had cats because I'm a dog person. And then when you said, I know, oh, I so you said too, you had though. a dog. I was like, oh, <laughs> redemption. Um, what kind of dog do you have? <laughs> well, so I had two. My my 15-year-old, unfortunately, you know, I lost my 15-year-old this uh, this summer. But I, I all my dogs are rescues. They They kind of find me. Um, they show up, you know, they somehow pick me and then they show up and then, you know, I'll, I'll take them in. And so uh, right now I have Barnaby and, uh, Barnaby is a, he's a Jack Russell, kind of a Jack Russell rat terrier okay. mix. I've not, I usually have big dogs. He's my first small dog. Well, he's not small. He's sort of medium. He thinks he's a big dog. Um, but he's got a, he's got a lot of personality. He's very energetic. Does um, he know? But he likes to does, lay. Does he know that he's been adopted by Jennifer Gatti? Yeah, I tell him. I tell him every day, but you know what? He doesn't seem to impress. Oh, me do you much. say? Do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. And if we watch TV, I say, "Look, that's me." And of course, it's, he's not impressed oh, at all. That's, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've limited to a two. I can only do a two dog, two dogs max in the house. It was crazy town at one point. I had three dogs and. and I had four cats, and then I realized, wow. okay, now we've approached crazy yeah. town. You'll get yourself a reputation around town. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I've uh, I've cut it down to okay. So the uh, the household has a limit of two dogs and two cats. That's about all I'll take in at this time. Wow. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So Jennifer, um, a while back we interviewed Clyde Kusatsu, and given his name. Um, Clyde, um, I made the link between the River Clyde, which goes through Scotland's largest city, um, and kind of uh-huh. bestowed on him um, honorary Scottishness, I suppose you could call it. So I was trying to make the link between <laughs> you and Scotland and kind of failed in my internet research. So do you have any links to Scotland? Uh, well, let's see. My only link to Scotland is... I spent three days in Edinburgh during the Edinburgh Festival in the 80s. Does that but count? But you know what? It doubly counts because you said Edinburgh correctly and not like a, a typical I did. See, there American you go. person, so that's cool. I, I love Edinburgh. Um, oh, I had such a good time. I do. I love Scotland. I haven't I haven't made it up into the Highlands yet, but, but one day. You'd be more than welcome to come over and visit. I'm really, really trying to find a link between you and Scotland that will allow me to kind of honour you with being Scottish. So um, if you will forgive me, um, the closest thing I could get was your surname being Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's from like 1861, the Italian uh, well, reunification to World War II. Um, a lot of Italian people migrated from Italy to Scotland. And so Scotland has a really oh. strong tradition of Italian families. And um, kind of the story goes that it was Italians that popularized fish and chips. And there's hundreds, like hmm. thousands of fish and chip shops that have Italian owners around Scotland. So, oh wow! I think wow. that's oh, the wow. link that you possibly wow. could be related. 
that's uh, that's that's digging deep there, finding something. But I think I th- you did I think it. We'll go. So, um, <laughs> on behalf of all the people of Scotland, we would like to bestow on you honorary Scotthood. How'd that sound? Oh well, I feel. I feel honoured. Thank you. And you, you realise so this is in no way official. It's not been sanctioned by the government <laughs> in any way. It's just yes, yes, it's I a sole podcaster <laughs> with no power whatsoever. So, so I'm not going to get a crest. There's no I crest. Will, or I will anything. draw you one, and we'll I will I'll email it to <laughs> okay. you. Maybe. How's that sound? Okay. okay. Awesome. Great. Great. Oh, Joe, I, I love that you're trying to make all I'm these. I'm trying to make people feel comfortable. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, so Jennifer, uh, tell us about any current or upcoming work you'd like to let our listeners. Oh, know Jennifer's about. in Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Everybody watch Swamp Thing. <laughs> Did you guys watch it? I haven't seen it yet. Does anybody? I don't even know how to see it. Does anybody actually? I, seen I've it? only seen episode <laughs> one. It's on Amazon Prime Video in the UK. So okay. So this is the frustrating thing about Swamp Thing is I, I did episode ten, and uh, I had a, a really good scene with Jennifer Beals character. And I could sort of tell when we were filming it, I said, I wonder if this is one of these things that they may continue. And then when I finished, I got a call like from my agent the next day saying they would like you to, they want you to work on episode 11. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, this I can see because I was an ER doctor. I said, I'm going to be the ER doctor in this town. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden they just, the Warner Brothers just killed it after 10 episodes. So, so I, I am in the tenth episode, as far as I know, unless they just rewrote the whole thing. But, um, but yeah. So if 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 you are able to see Swamp Thing, I am in episode ten of Swamp Thing. And then, actually, I thought it wasn't going to air until after I spoke to you, but it did air already. I did an episode. There is a show on Fox called The Resident. It's a mm-hmm. hospital show with uh, Matt. Searchy, I can't pronounce his last name. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's it's a it's a hospital show. It's on Fox on Tuesday nights. Yeah, I've I've heard of it. Yeah, called The Resident. Oh, very cool. By the way, Jennifer, I I took a look on IMDb. They do credit you on episode ten of Swamp Thing. So I guess. Oh, fantastic. Okay, <laughs> good. So I made it. it. Fantastic. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, so The Resident. It was their it's their Halloween episode. Um, I sort of, it's like the creepy Halloween episode and, and I, it's, I'm sort of, uh, I play Nancy. It's sort of in this, in the creepy towns people and there's this whole story I won't get into, but it was fun and it actually aired though. It just aired this week. I, I originally thought it was supposed to be Halloween week, but I think because of the baseball world series, they moved the uh, episode up to this past week. So if it, but they, you can stream it on Hulu. I think the episode is called belief system. And it's uh, season three of The Resident, and that's the most recent thing that I that I've done. Um, and uh, now I'm just like every other unemployed actor looking for my next gig. <laughs> okay, well, but, but it's good that you've gotten to, to do some stuff recently, and that you're you're still doing acting. So. Oh yeah, no, I've got quite a bit of stuff. Um, um, there's a series called Vice Principals on HBO. I did a couple of seasons of that. I'm actually in about. I'm in most of season two. I did about seven or eight episodes of season two of Vice Principals on HBO. So, yeah, I've been fortunate. You know, I I left L.A. about, oh, I left L.A. several years ago, you know, to kind of get away from it. And I moved up here into the mountains in North Carolina. But there's quite a bit of work in the southeast. And so, you know, I still, I don't do it at the level I did it years ago. But I still do about two or three shows a year, you know keep myself uh, busy and relevant in the business. So, you know, 
it's all good. No, that's that's really great. And so tell our listeners where they can find you online if they'd like to connect. Sure. Um, so probably the best way is Instagram. Um, I'm trying to, you know, be good about the whole social media thing. Um, so my Instagram account is actually Jennifer Gotti 104. So J E N N I F E R G A T T I 104. And you can follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to be good about that. And that's kind of pretty much what I have right now. I, I, I am avoiding Twitter. Just, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a, a Pandora's box Twitter. <laughs> so just... You know, it's uh, it, it's an interesting thing because actually most of my social media presence is on on Twitter, and if you and there's lots of of Star Trek fans and actors and things on on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So if you can kind of keep it to that corner, mm-hmm. it can it can be great for the most part. But okay. uh, but I can understand the hesitancy. yeah. Well, if I br- <laughs> if I branch out in Twitter, I will definitely somehow let everybody know. But right now, I'm just sort of keeping it at Instagram, just trying to keep it simple. And I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not really doing, you know, I have I haven't done a public Facebook page. My Facebook page is pretty much just something I kind of keep. It's just mostly family and and people I grew up with. So unfortunately, my Facebook page, I decided to purposely not do it for fan base. So Instagram's really the best way to reach out to me. And and uh, as I get, you know more um it's a full-time job having so doing social media so that's part of why i yeah. just stick with instagram <laughs> if i got involved with everything i would never leave the house or get anything done so that's why i just keep it at instagram <laughs> yeah that completely <laughs> jennifer you have a new instagram follower <laughs> oh well, thank you so much i'll i'll uh i'll uh, I'll, I'll find you cool. and follow i may you back. just have liked all your pictures <laughs> it was an accident though <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah if, if, you, if you have like a hundred notifications from a joke you <laughs> yeah. can, it's okay because it's you know one. you know it's me okay, okay, it's not okay. a stalkery thing it's just me being it's me being okay bad. good <laughs> and, if, and at least if you're stalking you're in scotland so it's far away yeah <laughs> <laughs> got some yeah. distance yeah. there <laughs> yeah well jennifer it's been it's been such a great experience talking to you. I feel like we've really gotten to to know you and who you are and uh, what you did in Star Trek and so many other things. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us today on Earl Grey. Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for uh, for inviting me on your show. And uh, I appreciate it. It was great meeting all of you. And it was over an hour. It was like an hour, 10 minutes. And you were thinking you wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> Well, actually, it's the opposite. I can go on and on and on. So I'm looking at the clock. I was actually looking at the clock so I don't like, so I know when to like shut up because, you know, I can talk. And I'll just tell our (laughs) listeners because this was before the interview actually started. You did say like, oh, we're just going to talk about the next generation, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, it's usually 45 minutes to an hour. And you're like, well, we'll see if it gets to that. But uh, it's been Uh, one of the longest interviews we've had, actually, which is a good thing because we love talking to you. (laughs) <laughs> if you if you talk to anybody that actually knows me, the first thing they'll say is like, "Oh yeah, Jennifer, she can talk." <laughs> <laughs> no, but you really told so many great yes. stories today, and uh, it, it it's just been so wonderful talking to you. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much. No, it's great. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, thanks for for make, taking the time. Well, Joe and Amy, I think that was a really wonderful interview. I feel like we could have talked to her for like three hours, right? Yes, <laughs> she definitely dropped some wisdom and some facts on it. I just, so much fun. I always love hearing how great 
the cast and crew are of Next Gen. It just warms my heart, you know, how she was talking about Frakes and Dorn and, you know, what a flirt Stuart yeah. is. I just, I <laughs> loved, loved it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and and uh, it reminded me a little bit when we were interviewing Clyde Kusatsu, who played Admiral Nakamura in a couple of episodes. And I think he was saying for the first one that Patrick Stewart actually came up to him and was like, oh, thank you so much for being here. It's just a pleasure. And it just sounds like they were so welcoming, even if in Jennifer Gotti's case, she didn't do any scenes with Jonathan Frakes or Patrick Stewart, but they're really welcoming and warm and remembered her all those decades later. So it just... Like, I got a couple of things out of the interview, like, again, just reinforcing the people that were on The Next Generation were so kind and welcoming, and it was a great experience, Um, and they still remember the people that they worked with, even if it was just for a couple of episodes. Also, like, how intense it can be (laughs) to do some of these roles and how much preparation that they put into it. I mean, I know Birthright was a two-parter, but it sounds like they put, like, a lot of care and effort into it. Um, yeah, it was just really lovely to talk to her. Um, you could listen for hours to our stories, same way um, when we interviewed Clyde. Obviously, being a famous Star Trek person, I get a little nervous before we interview people, but <laughs> it just made you feel really comfortable. And I will always now hear in my head when I see a cling on kiss, this prosthetic pop. That was so <laughs> funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And she made the sound effect too. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like so many, so many great stories uh, of of what it would have been like. And I mean, it's uh, probably unlikely in our lifetimes that we'll be on Star Trek, but we can live vicariously through the people that have been and, you know, a little bit what that experience is like. It's just, it's amazing. And that she was going to be Kess. Like she was down to the finalist. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. Yeah, I think I'm going to watch a Voyager episode with Kess and just imagine yes. what it would be like if it was Jennifer Gowdy. But that that is because we have had other people that that audition for roles, other roles like main series roles. But I don't think ever someone that got down to like the final final yeah. so close, you know. But in the future, you'll just be able to ask your artificially intelligent quantum computer to say, I don't like this actor in this role. Could you swap out for oh my gosh joe's getting rid of more people no amy you could say yeah could you make like all of next generation every character played by marina sortis i thought you were gonna say every character played by no that would be be the best show ever but yeah amy you could say that in your ai computer we go processing for like half a second and then it would show you like all of tng with marina sortis playing every character Wow. When, so when do we get there, Joe? When do we have that capability? Like, Next year? I don't no. think it's that far away. <laughs> It'll be a while. Yeah, I mean, it's... Next uh, 10 years. Maybe. So I'm calling it 10. But but yeah, so so many great stories and things that uh, that we just didn't know before about TNG. I just love we can expand our mm-hmm. knowledge on these yeah. things with these so interviews. True. Yeah. Well, it's been so much fun interviewing Jennifer Gotti about her roles in TNG and Voyager and having Joe bestow upon her honorary Scott Hood. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. But good discussion. Like I love, (laughs) you know, talking about the science. And Joe, I love that you bring it up. Justin. I need to stop reading it. I'm sorry. I'm closing, doing my final thoughts. And you're all laughing over me. Joe, you need to keep all of this This in. (laughs) This is an intervention, Justin. (laughs) Okay. Close the window. Oh my gosh. Literary Treks. I talked to Bob Klein, who I had interviewed for Saturday Morning Trek, um, 
And he's like, yeah, come on over. Let's go look through my garage and see what we find. I'm like, okay. So I drive over there and I was greeted to two, you know, those fold out tables that you have for like picnics, two of those end to end with like three boxes, uh, larger than file boxes and uh, like moving boxes size and just papers and folders that all had filmation on it just brought out. Standard orbit. I bought it I, I, when it first came out. I played it for like two or three days and I went, what is going on? Am I am I missing something? Is it just I'm not a good player? So, And then I checked on the reviews online and everyone agreed that it was not a good game. And we were all correct. And introducing our newest show, The Line, a Star Trek Picard podcast. I, I'm so honored that I was chosen to pick Picard. And as a Next Generation fan, I mean, he was one of my favorite characters. And so I wanted to, and I know how he is extra special to lots of Star Trek fans beyond even just being the character he played on the, on the series. And so I really felt a huge responsibility to try to give the fans something that that was enjoyable but and, and honored who he was, even though it was staying true to the fact that he is 20 years older. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That will help others to find the show. And just last night, I helped someone subscribe to Earl Grey. Hee <laughs> hee. Good job, Amy. Yeah. Well done. I'm like, wait, there it is. Search. Yep, that, there. Listen. Well done, Amy. <laughs> if you're not an Apple user, you should maybe question your existence. We've got you covered as well. Oh. I'm not allowed to say that, no. Richard did it all no, the no, time. No, no, you can say that. Okay. It's you're fine. channeling Richard. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. So you guys want a bonus question? <laughs> yes, bonus, of course bonus, you do. bonus. So I will ask a question that we asked Jennifer Gotti today. If you could portray an alien in Star Trek, who would it be and why? It could be what species or you could make up one, let's say. (laughs) Well, since I just recently watched Birthright, I was very interested in, was it Iridian? The one who tells Worf about the... Oh, the 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 Uridian yeah, Uridian. T- takes him. Yeah, and you see something from in Cochrane. DS9. Yes, I know. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what is he doing I here? I know, James yeah. Cromwell. Yeah. It's the voice. It's the I voice. know, yeah. But I was very interested, like, he's sort of, I mean, sort of like Jennifer, like, you want to play sort of a bad guy, and here he is trying to sell information, and I know, right? I'll drop you off, and I'll pick you up in 50 hours, and, you know, it's too scary, and I'm a wimp, so, you know, I, I don't know, I just would be interesting. Weasley alien selling access to information. Yes. <laughs> okay, and you, Joe? There's so many choices. If it was to be a humanoid species, then definitely Kelpian. Mm, okay. Because I love Doug Jones. That's the only reason I need. Um, non um, humanoid, like space dwelling. 
Uh, gomtu oh. or a gormengander. So maybe how, gomtu how because I would have like special that? powers. Because I would like, um, I would have a big gomtu suit on. <laughs> okay. And my green. We're screen. talking about in a real Star Trek, but okay, fine. Okay. Yep. Oh. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Um, non-humanoid. The the wee crystalline um, entity. Bug crisp- things. Oh. No. Mind the ugly bags of mostly water. The microbrain? <laughs> How would you play yeah. that character? Because I, I would vo- the be the voice. voice. Okay. Yeah, I'd be like, fine. ugly bags of mostly Justin, water. Justin, you cannot criticize anyone's choices with you thinking outside the box, quote unquote. I'm never going to live that down. No. Nope. Time, time travel. We will never let you uh, live it down. <laughs> Justin, what about you? Okay. So from it's it's an interesting... Uh, yes, my name is Justin Oza, and I would portray time travel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you, I gave you an English accent. I don't know where from. You know, there's going to come an episode. Hey, where my you... name is Justin Ozer, and I'm going to portray time travel because, yeah, because I'm like thinking outside that's, of the box. That's not what your I said. Your U.S. Either, accent but, um, sucks. <laughs> even worse than my it's like Scottish your, it's accent. Like your Scotch. <laughs> yes. Wow, guys. Uh, oh, Sorry, uh, Justin. Go. There will be an episode somewhere in the future where you don't mention me in time travel. I know it, but not it's yet. not happened yet. Um, not anything. You soon? have to go not to yet. the future to find 2063. that. Twenty sixty three. When we're both so dead, I will still be alive. Only be eighty something. Yeah, but we'll be we'll both be dead, so we won't be yep. able to mention it. Okay, Justin, tell us whatever what alien species. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, like I think if I thought about humanoid, I've said before the Bajorans are my favorite in Star Trek. I want to put on that nose and portray a Bajoran because I just love their their culture and their way of being. But if it was non-humanoid, to be honest, I know it's really weird, but I want to be the person that plays a Horta that's in like this uh, outfit where they're basically like under a rug, just like writhing around on the floor. Somehow that sounds fun. I really don't know why. But it it might be okay. fun or weird, so all right. Well, good. There to you go, know listeners. We got a, a glimpse into <laughs> Justin's proclivities. He wants to roll around in a rug <laughs> on the floor. Wow. Yep, I don't know. It just sounds like fun. Um, well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel B A B E L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So Joe, where can people contact you when you're not bestowing Scotthoodness to others? To everyone except me and yeah. Amy, apparently. Well, you're not a famous Star Trek actors. So. <laughs> okay. Um, mm. When I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter at joeyjoe77uk. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com. And you can also get me on the 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 Babel Conference. You can get me on the Babel Conference. Okay. Um, so, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not watching The Young and the Restless or The Bold and the Beautiful or Dallas or Dynasty or Falcon Crest? You know, Young and the Restless really was my very first soap opera that I started watching. I remember starting it in middle school. Oh, my gosh. And I remember her character. So I, it just 
It was a thrill. Well, I don't think I've seen it. Oh, I loved Young and the Restless. Oh my gosh. I have a confession to make. There was one summer, I think it was in, was it a summer? No, no. I think it was during the school year. I was like sick for a week and I like somehow got hooked on soap operas. See? Like all of them. They were so good. But then I went back to school and I was like, that was weird. I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) But yeah, go ahead, Amy. Well, you can find me here on the network where I'm hosting The Edge with my good friend Patrick Devlin, and that's talking about Star Trek Discovery. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson and right there in the Babel Conference. And Justin, where can people contact you when you're not flirting with Patrick Stewart on set? Yeah, well, that's a different reality. But um, (laughs) when I'm not doing that, it would just be great to meet him someday, somehow. Um, anyway, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, and I do not tweet about time travel being a villain, I swear. Um, <laughs> you can also find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting The Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast. I co-host that with my friends Chrissy DeClerc Zalagi and Brandon Shamatala. So we are looking at some things in the run-up to Picard related to Next Generation and Voyager, uh, and then we will talk about each episode as it airs. Uh, you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of, of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Michael Huter, Justin Ozer, Thomas Appel, Chris Tribuzio, Joe Keegan, and Jim McMahon. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. A Klingon would rather die than be taken into captivity. Why did you come here? We were so happy. We didn't know there was anything missing in our lives. (laughs) 